Hi, I'm Ryan Barnes. And I'm Anakin Barnes. Welcome to Season 2 of the Barnes Boys Podcast. We're both big movie fans. And we're both actors. We watch movies through different lenses. You see, my dad grew up in the 80s in a very conservative environment in California. While my son goes to high school at a fine arts school in liberal British Columbia. Each week we watch a different movie. And discuss it from the different perspectives we bring to the table. Since I've been born, CGI and quick cuts were the norm. Well, all we had were practical effects and converted theater actors. So sit back, relax, grab some popcorn, and enjoy the show. Welcome back yeah. to part two of Fight Club. Oh, man. There was so much to unpack with this movie. We, we just we couldn't get it all into yeah. one episode. Yeah. So uh, right now we're, we're going to... Just really, sure. Just really dive into <laughs> yeah. it and hit those hit those viewpoints. So if if you if you missed maybe even your favorite part in, uh, in part one, maybe you maybe you really like the trivia. Just go back uh, go back from last week and that all of that will be there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it will. It is not going anywhere. No. So um, let's get into this. Welcome All right. back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, this is the the viewpoints, the the meat, the the really the main ideas that we've gotten from this movie. Right. Being being season two, so we are welcoming wel- welcoming some of you yeah. back. And just uh, yeah, a reminder: we we throw in uh, Anakin and I don't talk about the movie. Uh, we treat it like Fight Club. We we yeah. don't talk <laughs> we don't talk about our movies at all after we watch it until we do the podcast but during the movie we're taking notes and sometimes we have to pause the movie so we can finish our thought yeah. on the notes and not miss anything more so we're going to take you through as we said in the introduction um, um anakin's new liberal young <laughs> eyes and my and my older conservative sometimes it's that sometimes it's other things right so all right so um i'll just start us off here sure so so the opening credits, this is definitely a movie from the late 90s, early 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> the music, the bad CGI um, for the credits, just the entire style of the opening credits just scream 2000s or early or late 90s. Okay. Can, can we talk about that before we move on here? I know it was made in 1999. No, 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 no not that. Um, but... For you, mm-hmm. and this, this is this is actually a perfect example of of why we started this podcast. For yeah. you, you're looking back and you're thinking that's bad CGI. For me, that was CGI, and it's gotten better since then. Like yeah. like you're you're going backwards, I'm going forward. So so we see we see other things like a Marvel movie, for instance, and we're like, and to me, it's like this is great CGI, and it's come so far. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh my god, this was CV, CGI back then. Well, no, <laughs> I I understand where um, the the progression has come from, and it's like, and even looking at back at um, like the original Spider Man films with Tommy. Sure. Toby Maguire, um, it that was groundbreaking for its time. Okay, because um, a lot of people saw that um, and thought that the the CGI is so realistic. And mm-hmm. it, I believe it was one of the first movies, uh, first like action movies to come from like a major for major CGI to come out of that area, like. Um, Around when Pixar made Toy Story, which was also groundbreaking, right? So, right. oh, well, there table, <laughs> yeah, right? Um, so there's a in a little bit earlier in the '90s. I, I think it was like '95, '96. Mm-hmm. We don't have it on our list, but I kind of think that we might need to get a bonus episode in okay. here. It was was this movie called Lawnmower Man, which I've referenced to you a couple times. I've called you Job when I tell you that it's time to mow the lawn. I call oh. you, hey, Job, <laughs> and that's that's a reference to Lawnmower Man. Okay. But um, but the the movie the plot was was. Well, I don't want to. If we're going to do a podcast, I don't want to mm-hmm. tell you anything like like that. But it had what was known as the best, the greatest, the state of the art uh, CGI at mm. the at the time that it was done, and that that's what that movie's known for. Okay. Um, but it was but it was like mid nineties, and so yeah. so it'll be very. It's very interesting, and and for me again, that's that's where I started with that, and then moved right. moved forward. Um, 
And so by the time we got to this opening scene, which mm. we're still on five minutes <laughs> into this, um, by the time we got to this opening scene, it was it's like, oh my gosh, this is great. And then the the zoom out and you find out that it was his head the whole time. Yeah. And, um, so I, yeah. I thought that was really well done, yeah. but I, I totally, I totally get where you're coming from though. It's like, oh, it's bad CGI and going the other right. direction. Um, uh, so, so uh, kind of going on to the opening credits, you see Meatloaf and Jared Leto, the two names that pop up. And so, I you had just earlier in this podcast you had just reminded me who Meatloaf was and I saw that I'm like, who in the world is Meatloaf? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and uh, so the other thing is I know that you haven't seen um, uh, Tim Curry uh, Halloween movie. What's, ah, the Time Warp. I, I can't. I'm blanking on the name oh, here. Oh, oh, oh. That's uh, uh, Rocky Horror Picture. Rocky, show? you haven't seen a Rocky Horror Picture show. Yeah. And Meatloaf had a big part in that too. Really? So, so okay. like going going back, anybody who was um, old enough to watch Fight Club. They would have a point of reference, okay. And also, Meatloaf's music and his videos were were mm-hmm. huge. Michael Bay was directing them at the time. They were right. all over uh, MTV and VH1, which is where people saw m- music videos at the time, yeah, pre YouTube and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So people knew who Meatloaf was, right? Uh, looking back at this, um, so I've, I'm actually going to catch up with you here, okay. Um, my my first thought was uh, the first opening line, a David Fincher movie, which to me immediately signal that it's going to be edgy and thoughtful. I love mm. David Fincher movies. Okay. And then um and then the other thing that that popped up is was um when uh, Helena Bonham Carter's name popped uh, came up. I remembered that her character's name was Marla Singer and I I love Marla Singer. I love her character um but I had um for for a long time, I was a full time photographer, and mm-hmm. so I did a lot of did a lot of modeling gigs. Worked with a lot of the same uh, the same models over and over. And this uh, this one girl, uh, Melody Muse, that I had been working with for a while, mm-hmm. she she and I talked about this, and we both had a mutual love for Fight Club, and we yeah. we decided that we had to do a Marla Singer shoot, and so okay. so she dressed, did the makeup, and just did a killer job as. Uh, Getting right. yourself all all dolled up as Marla Singer, and then we did did a great photo shoot, um, which I think I think you can attach links in in the in the show notes. And if if I can do that, if I remember how to do that, I'll post that post that album so you guys could see it. But uh, it was such a great photo shoot. But then my my next note um, that goes into that is I just wrote Meatloaf as Bob. You know, <laughs> so so excited right there because yeah. it's Meatloaf, it's the loaf. <laughs> Yeah, no point of reference there. Right. <laughs> All right. But um, I do have a quick question. Sure. So I know Jared Leto as um, the lead singer for 30 Seconds to Mars. Yes. Was, and I know 30 Seconds to Mars was, is quite an, I don't want to say old band because then you'll feel old. <laughs> <laughs> but more, it, it goes back. Was... So was Thirty Seconds Mars like a big, like a big name in a of a of a sure. band? So um, as we talked about in the introduction, my my background is pretty conservative, yeah. And so at this point in the late uh, um, in the late nineties, I had very very little exposure to current rock bands. Okay, um, but uh, but. There's a there's a scene where where Brad Pitt's character Tyler Durden is is talking mm-hmm. talking to them. They're in the basement and he's saying all of their their different or he's, he's saying you know if people are this or this or this or rock stars. And in that scene, yeah. he looks directly at Jared Leto. So okay. I don't know if that was improv or not, um, but um, but at that t- so that tells me that at that time the band was going but right. i don't know i don't know if they were as big of a deal then as they are now yeah so i it, it made me curious whether or not jared leto at that time was big for his music and he also did acting or he was big as an actor at the time and then also had a successful band so i mean as you as you know i've got a little bit of history with with the band too and so what what i know about uh, what i know about Jared is when he when he started doing doing film, which was after he started doing music. Mm-hmm. Um, he made it 
he made it a huge point to keep them separate. Yeah. And so he's not, he doesn't do music for the films that he's in and, and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, I guess, well, actually he does, he does acting for his music videos. He, he does. Uh, but, and, and he, he actually directs, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you've seen a couple of his music videos, which are freaking amazing. Um, he, he is such a great artist, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, he, he he keeps his keeps his music personality separate. He does this music with his brother and then is acting on his own. Yeah. And so, um, at, yeah. To answer your question, which I think we covered already, he he was doing music stuff, but they weren't they hadn't hit their stride yet. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, my my next note is is referring is about the insomnia. All right. Are you before that where where he's talking about being an insomniac? Um, my next note is kind of in the middle of what he's ta- when he's talking about that, but it's not about that. Okay, so uh, Edward Norton's character he's just referred to as the narrator. He has no he has no name. There's yeah. no name for him, um, yeah. and he's talking about being an insomniac and and going from day to day and things are just kind of going by. Yeah, so. I actually suffered from insomnia from around fifth grade or so, or mm-hmm. grade five for those of you in the great white north, uh, <laughs> from fifth grade up until, well, in, into co- my college years. I I would lay down, I would ha- always have music going on, but I would watch the clock go 12 o'clock, one o'clock, two yeah. o'clock, three o'clock, usually, usually around somewhere between 3.30 and 4.30, sometimes 5 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Then I would fall asleep, yeah. and then my alarm would go off at 6. Right. And and that was for, that was for like, eight or nine years. Every once in a while, I'd, I'd sleep in a few hours on a Saturday, but but that was that was me. And, right. And what I did during that extra time, um, be, you know, when I got a little bit older and I, and I was allowed to get out of bed or, or I knew that I could get out of bed, mm-hmm. uh, was I would, I would read, um, we, we not everybody had TVs in the rooms. You right. didn't have internet or any, or phones or anything like that. So I would just do stuff. I would, I would read, I would, um, play at this, this piano, this little keyboard that, uh, that I had in my room. And so I would just pick out notes one at a time and, and, mm-hmm. and just, uh, play some music and, then as I got older, I like in college going as a full-time student, I would have three jobs also at the same time. Yeah. Um, cause I, I, I couldn't sleep. And yeah. so I, I didn't want to waste my time. So I just did stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with that, I've, I've also found myself not really being able to sleep and around that four o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock hours mm-hmm. when you finally fall asleep. I've, I've had a lot of those nights recently right. and it's, <laughs> and those um those six a.m. shifts that I have at McDonald's <laughs> really don't help that. No. Um. But I. It's good that we watch this movie at this point of my life because it I can I can relate to that a bit more because sure. I've for some reason I've been really having trouble sleeping recently, but. I know, and when when I see you walking home from work, you've got your arms out. You're like brains. You just you're, you're in full zombie mode. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, it's really interesting to see how, how you can relate to that. But instead of like referring it to insomnia, people my age just, um, refer to it as your sleep schedule's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is too. Yeah. We, we got vacation coming up in a couple of weeks oh, no. with a three hour time <laughs> difference. Life is going to be rough for you. I know. So, All right, so the, what, one thing we can be certain is you're going to eat. <laughs> so my my next note is when he meets Marla. So I don't know if you have anything before then. I have I have a ye, I have I have a couple more notes before uh Yeah, I have a couple I have a couple notes before that. Okay, yeah, go So for my my next note here is which is really funny because I <laughs> I refer back to this later is that for about 0.02 of a second, someone pops up on the screen, which is really funny because if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about and you know how it's going to be referred to later, sure. which is mind-blowing, and I'll get to that. But 
um, it, I I felt that it was really key to like keep that in there, even mm-hmm. though I um, it was explained later. But someone like a picture of someone, um, it looked like Brad Pitt's character just kept popping up in different spots. Yeah, before we meet him. Yeah, yeah before exactly. we meet him. So it's. I think I'm going to get into that a bit more later. Um, but well, okay. So again, we we've we've mm. talked about how the this we're we're spoiling the movie. So yeah. at this point people have seen the movie. So so we can we can talk about this yeah. this piece so here. I, I was I'm going to talk about it a bit more into like the almost philosophical type way when we get to those notes because it's it's really more explained in sure. the in later parts of the movie but something i just thought of now is that a reason you know i'm going to save that too cuz it's it, it's going to make more sense when we get into that cuz i have something i want to say but i don't know what you're going to say so i don't want to spoil that so hopefully <laughs> hopefully yeah, you hopefully. hit that okay um so i'm just going to move on to my next okay, note okay yeah go for it so uh, another t- really talking about um, a lot with me in this in this episode is that how um, this although this movie doesn't f- um, follow a template uh, off of like genre like a genre template, mm-hmm. I found that movies that are like this that don't follow the template very unique and all of that. I found with movies like this, it uh, made around these times late late nineties early two thousands is that the point of the movie or the seemingly point of the movie never really gets across until like 20, 30 minutes into the movie. And it's so, and so like that first 20, 30 minutes is like a very extended prologue. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's, if you get bored with things that don't keep you interested in movies, it's really, with movies like this, um, it's really, it, it's really key to just have some perseverance and just get through it because it gets really interesting later on. Mm-hmm. It, I've always found a prologue to be boring, whether it's in a book. <laughs> I know I don't read books, but <laughs> read what? Yeah, um, in books I find prologues boring, and in some movies or TV shows, it's just just get to the meat of the movie, you know? Right. So okay, so uh, two things on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about pro- prologues being boring. Uh, so I read Gone with the Wind as mm-hmm. from a, as a recommendation from Amy when we were in high school, right? And she said, "Hey, read this. It's my favorite book." And so it took me it took me like a year and a half to read the first quarter of it because it's it's all prologue, yeah, and it's just so descriptive and and. I just could not stick with it, and I was an avid reader. I was reading a new novel every four days, right. um, but but this book was so hard for me to get through. And then I get through that, and then sudden, and then that it built up all the all the characters, all the story, gave me all the background that I needed, mm-hmm. and then it the plot picked up, and then I couldn't pick it down. Then I finished the rest yeah. of it in three weeks, exactly. Um, and with with this one, with this one too, I. I what I don't like is the laziness of a lot of newer movies that mm-hmm. that do all of that prologue, as you call it, or that that build up with a couple paragraphs of exposition, like right. like, oh, my brother's here, great, because he's been in college for the last six years, earning his pre med degree, and yeah. <laughs> you know all, all this all this crap that's going to come up later, yeah. but they just give it to you right there. But this movie instead, they they introduce you to the character you got to you you bought into yeah. the narrator and who he was and then they took a story with the character that you built and it had nothing to do with yeah i i understand the importance of a prologue and it's it's very key um with with newer movies and just the way the world is going now mm-hmm. my attention span has shortened from already being short with the way i am sure has shortened a bit and it's it, I understand and I completely agree with like a good prologue, elongated prologue, but it's um it I kind of I prefer to have like a fine line between getting to the point mm-hmm. and giving prologue. So that's why sure. Sometimes when my sister tells stories, I could follow along, sometimes just get to the point. 
<laughs> that is a subject I am not going to talk about publicly. Okay. <laughs> um, so did you enjoy this prologue? I or? did. I did. It, it, it kept me thinking about, like, why? It, it kept me asking questions. Why is this happening? What is this building up to? What what is the what is the purpose behind each one of these things? Because as as a theater actor, we were taught to find a purpose in each and everything that almost relates to something later. Mm-hmm. And so, with that background in my head and with that always going, it makes me think: What is the purpose for this thing? Sure. Sure, so, that makes sense. Yeah, and the other the other thing that it does not just build up his personality, mm-hmm. but it's also pushing the idea of consumerism. You right. know, talking about the the IKEA the IKEA kitchen and and everything that he's doing with that with the Starbucks, and yeah. he's just pushing uh, corporation, corporation, corporation to then blow it apart yeah. later. And 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 I think that's that's absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I, th- I think we're up to the the meeting Marla, or did you have one uh, anything else to go before that? Yeah, I I have I don't really have a note until later after we meet Brad Pitt's character. Okay, okay. So one uh so our narrator then meets Marla Singer, and um this this line that he said in there uh, they're they're going to all of these different help groups to fill to gratify whatever needs that that each of them have their yeah. narrator and Marla mm-hmm. and um and they're both they're both faking it you know yeah. like like she's going to the prostate cancer one right. and 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 they're going to the the no smoking emphysema support mm-hmm. group whatever but what he said was her lie reflected my lie and that's the reason he didn't like her and that is such an accurate statement mm-hmm. of of people you know I don't know what they're called now. We called them posers back in back in my day. But people pretending to be something that they're not and trying to fit in in ways that that they don't yeah. quite uh, they don't quite match. And we just call it, them fake. Fake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and people that do that ha- really have trouble with other people that are doing the same thing in, yeah. in those those social circles too, um, because because. They're they're identifying with that. They're seeing mm-hmm. that, and they themselves don't want to be seen. Right. There's um, yeah. With that, it's like I I find a lot of um with a lot of people in my age that I've just observed, like people in my grade, and just observe them interact with people. They'll um, they'll be they'll be like super nice to to this one person, and then then just. Once they leave, just turn around, and be fake, and then complain about how that person is like so fake or whatever. And and even I've been guilty of that of not of seeing something in myself that I don't like in somebody else, and then hating or not hating, but like disliking them for that. And it's sure. it's um it's almost I see it as almost willful ignorance of like um of of the hypocrisy of it. Mm-hmm. It's like you're aware it, it's it, there's a difference between knowing that you don't like that person because they there's something in you that you don't like about yourself and they reflect that much more. Mm-hmm. And so it's um and if you know that it's it, it allows you to reflect on yourself as well. Mm-hmm. But if if you're going to if you're going to like not like somebody for being fake and then you'll be fake and you're not even going to acknowledge that you're fake or sure. whatever. It's, I see it as like willful ignorance. So sticking with our nineties theme here, yeah. there's a, there's a song by the singer, Jewel Kilcher. You might've heard of her Jewel. Uh, anyway, I, you, I know you've heard her because I listened to her all the time growing up. I absolutely love Jewel and her, um, her, I think, I think it was her debut album, uh, "Pieces of You," has a song called "Pieces of You" okay. that uh, that talks just about that. is It is an amazing song, uh, not so much for the musical quality because it's ve- it's very basic musically mm-hmm. speaking, 
lyrically though it, it reaches out and it, and it grabs you and it's saying exactly what you're saying right there yeah i highly recommend you listen to that okay. jewel pieces of you and for all of you listeners at home too mm-hmm. that's exactly what anakin was talking about yeah um so one of the things that i also really appreciated in in this movie too and and i haven't read the book and now that now that we're talking about it mm-hmm. i i kind of regret the fact i do regret the fact that i haven't read the book to compare the two but in the movie anyway i absolutely love how how descriptive the narrator is mm-hmm. when he's he's talking uh, i'll g- give you an example not from the movie but uh but like um this microphone cable here is is black, but he wouldn't say it's black. He would say, you know the 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 color of the the absence in the abyss of your mind when you're dreaming right. at twelve thirty at, at night or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and it just everything has has such a such vig- vivid imagery that he that he puts in. It's um, almost poetic. It is. It's mm. extremely poetic. Yeah, uh, and I I. I've seen Edward Norton in in other things besides this and Hulk, but I can't think of it. But the way he the way he narrates, the way he he does this description, the way he oh, I'm losing the term um, executes it. Okay. He executes the lines. He's very good at it, and the way his voice sounds is perfect for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's he's a great actor. I love absolutely mm. everything I've seen him in. Yeah. But you're right. His, his his voice. He he's he's nailing it. I mean, I, I read in in some of the trivia things I read. I read different people could have been part of this cast. But yeah. But I think this cast was absolutely perfect yeah. for uh, for this movie. Yeah. Um. So during his during his descriptions and mm. and the things you're talking about, he's um. Well, actually, it's. Yeah, it, it's it is him. He it, it paints paints such a bleak picture of what working for the man is. Yeah, uh, just going into your office and punching punching in and doing this doing this this work and with the with the blue fluorescent lights overhead and mm-hmm. you just go in and 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 you're traveling and and do you remember when I used to travel a lot uh, yeah. when you were younger? I, I would travel. I would fly two to three times a week and yeah. it was traveling all the time. And it was just it, it was like that. Maybe not to this extent, but but it was like that. Is is you wake up in another hotel and and you don't know where you, I've I woke up in my own bed and I didn't know who where I was. Yeah. Um. It's it's just such a such a mindless mindless state that that you that you end up in it's lonely and it's boring and mm-hmm. and they he paints an extremely good picture of of what that what yeah. that is before before it shifts and goes the other way mm-hmm. and then um and then at the airport when, when his luggage is lost um a i don't know if you noticed that they they called the baggage handlers throwers yeah so i uh, a few years ago about ten years ago ish, I, I don't know. I was commissioned to to write the music for a musical Bag Sass and my boarding pass. And okay. it was it was written. Um the playwright was a uh used to be a baggage handler and he mm-hmm. he was a thrower and he yeah. used that term all the time and he, he talked about it and how they are not good. So ladies and gentlemen, when you buy luggage don't worry about what your luggage looks like. The whole point of your luggage is to protect what's inside <laughs> yeah. against the throwers. Might against as well the buy a Pelican case. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So um, don't worry if it gets scratched. That meant it protects your stuff because they are really hard on your stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, so my next and let me know. Let me know when when I've passed you up here because okay. I don't want to. I yeah. want to try and keep this as in order as possible. Yeah. So he, after, after his place burns down, he calls the number on his business card. That is exactly my next point. Okay. You go. My next point. It's simple. It's, it's so convenient that the entire piece of paper of that number just didn't burn. Okay. That's it. It's, it's just a little bit of plot protection and a little bit of plot convenience. Sure. But that also makes you wonder, was the number real or not? So, did you consider that? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, um, thinking- oh right, he calls. He called. I, I forget, I thought he was calling Helena Bonham Carter's 
character, but now I'm remembering he calls Brad Tyler Durden. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. The movie just changed for you again. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, so the narrator calls Tyler Durden, who he met on the plane, and um, and he doesn't pick up, and then. It's a payphone, mm-hmm. um, and then the the number, then the person calls back. Well, they, he didn't have caller ID because that wasn't really that that big of a thing then. Right. He said, "I star sixty nine you. I never, I never pick up." Um, so back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, when you when the phone rang um, because people didn't have caller ID, mm-hmm. uh, sometime in the in the nineties, I believe, is when it came out. Um, the phone companies released this this option where where you can pick up the phone if you missed a call and hit star six nine, mm-hmm. and then it would call back the number that called you. Okay. Um, you depending on your phone plan, you get it for free or they charge you okay. every time. Ours, we we got charged for it, so I got in trouble for using it uh, at yeah. home a couple times. Um, but that's how you would call somebody back. And so okay. when he said that to me, that makes sense. But for you or or anybody who wasn't around during that time. Yeah. It's like, what are you talking about? And what is this device that he's, that he's picking up? It really the just, phone. <laughs> it really just went over my head. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So, so my next point, um, after, after we see, um, after we see the two characters, well, no, the two characters, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, have a little bit of interaction. We find out that, um, I, I keep, I'm never good with character names. Tyler. Tyler Durden. Tyler Durden. Um, we, we find out that he is uh, working uh, or worked at a um, movie theater and did yes. the reels and everything. And so, and he explained what he did with, uh, with the splicing and everything. Mm-hmm. And so now here's what I'm going to talk about with like the movie. This is what I meant by the, um, uh, when I was talking late earlier, how like the Tyler Durden just a very small picture of him just yes. kept popping yes, up. Yes. The movie explained exactly what it's been doing for the past thirty minutes, mm-hmm. and it stopped. I noticed that it stopped as soon as we got started getting to the airport, because that's when we were building up meeting the new character. Sure, and so I I find I find that really like interesting um, how like when movies acknowledge themselves mm-hmm. and how they, they've been explaining um, everything. And so there's, there's one more layer to go into deeper when uh, about everything that's kind of been building up for okay. me. Um, and then, so I'll, I'll mention that final last letter once we get to it. Okay. So, All right. yeah. So for what you're talking about, mm. um, I, uh, in in my how I see it is is the narrator is inventing or, or building mm-hmm. building Tyler Durden in his head and that's what all these flashes are of these these single frames that that hmm. we're seeing is it's he's he's starting to create him because he's an insomniac at this point he's traveling all over the place he's yeah. losing time and and so I, that that's part of the the added layer is that from what I've known about uh, or little I've heard and read about insomnia is that if you lose enough sleep due to insomnia, you can start seeing things yes. in hallucinations, which now that I'm saying it might actually allow me to figure some things out about the rest of this movie, but okay, we'll, we'll get into that. Sure. Okay. Um, so in but the scene that you're that you're talking about where they're also breaking the fourth wall, which they do quite a bit in in this mm. movie, and and talk to the audience or, um, or talk to somebody who use uh, who should be the audience. Yeah. Um, what you also see, or what I saw for the first time was how great Brad Pitt's comedic timing is, and we've mm-hmm. seen it. We've seen it in other movies since then, like the Oceans movies. Yeah. Um, I saw this. I don't think you've seen it. Burn after reading, but mm-hmm. but he's he's funny. He's really funny, and this is the first time we saw him uh, that uh, most of the world saw him in anything where he had a sense of humor. Yeah, and he was he was spot on for yeah. uh, for those things. 
Um, one of the things that he said while while the two were talking mm-hmm. is he said that the things that you own end up owning you, and that yeah. that quote stood out to me, and it's so stinking real. Yeah, um, we we have we've got a lot of stuff here. <laughs> not not that I want to not that I want to invite anybody to come rob our house, but mm-hmm. but I we own a photography business and, and a and media company and I'm a musician. So we've got, we've got some, some cool things. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, like even when we were choosing this house, it's okay, where are we going to put the music gear? Yeah. And, and so we're, we're selecting, selecting places that we're going to live based off that, where we, where we're going to put a computer, where we, where's and, the studio going to be? Yeah, exactly. And so because of that, there's these things that I own, it, it, it mandated our life or directed our lives. And, yeah. and it, and so even with, uh, like, um, like an iPhone, for instance, you yeah. know, you, you get a, you get an iPhone 12 or 13 or 42 or whatever right. it is. So you, you get your brand new phone. So, okay. So now you're, now you're tied to a phone plan. Now you got to get Apple care. Now you got to get a case. Oh, now yeah. I want a different case. Somebody else has got a different case and I need a case for this. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you go out, on a boat. Well, now I need a Pelican bag to put it, to put my phone in right. so I don't lose it. And, and just one piece after another, after, after another. And if nothing else, this movie is, is showing us how, how much consumers we actually are. Yeah. And, and that's, that's such a true line The things that, that you own end up owning you. And, and I know we've, we've talked about this, um, as we've moved, we've moved, uh, quite a few times in yeah. the last few years here, but, um, but after after years and years of just collecting stuff and just getting stuff that's not get, being used, mm-hmm. we've been been getting rid of stuff and, yeah. and and reducing, 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 getting rid of the things that that we don't need or aren't using for that reason because because it's just crap and it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, we we go we go to the we go where did we go? We went to North Vancouver and we went kayaking on the water. Yeah. It was just us and our kayaks and it wasn't any of the stuff and we had a great time yeah and none of it was necessary xbox wasn't necessary Mm -hmm. and as much as i hate to say it my guitar wasn't necessary yeah we just uh we just went out and and it was great yeah we don't need most of this stuff however we we become slaves to it we always always want more always want more and so we work harder we work more hours uh to be able to get it and and um then that work is is time that that's taken from you and mm-hmm. time that you could be doing other things. Yeah, and the 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 quote uh, what's what's the exact quote again? The things you own end up owning you. Yeah. So a more more um, I want to say relevant um, version of that quote of um, which with technology and everything mm-hmm. is that if it's free, you are the product. Yes, exactly. That, that comes into play with, with apps, um, with games, social uh, media, social media, yeah. whatever. All of these apps are free. You people my age and really a lot of people that I've, uh, I just know around me will not download an app if it's not free. Mm. So, so these companies have to find all these different ways to make it to make it free and still make money and all of that um, by like ads or whatever. But yeah, everything on our devices turns out to be free mm-hmm. that we we find as a necessity. Like right, not even the games I I play on my phone, which I hardly do anymore. Sure, um, but really, just the social media, it's. It's free, but at what cost, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's exactly the message of this movie. I mean, yeah. you're you're stating it exactly. This movie was made before people had social media and before it was they right. had that information on their phones and stuff. But but it's the exact same thing applies, and it, yeah. it probably would make it into the movie if if it was done done today. You're right. Yeah, you're right. And then with that, that actually brings me to my net note. My next note, which is there's corporate logos everywhere: mm-hmm. Starbucks, Krispy Kreme, IKEA, but uh, corporate lo- lo- logos everywhere, and and it's really driving home that that point of. So, that's what's interesting about this is that it it kind of 
baffles me to to see um, corporations paying to get their way, their their corporate, uh, their name into yeah. this movie when this movie is bashing that name. Right. And, and with especially with this message, it's almost like you don't want your name to be in this. Well, um, there are scenes like the 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 car crash, the company that it works for, mm-hmm. that car is a Lincoln Town car, which yeah. uh, which they end up using later in the movie uh, as well, a, a Lincoln Town car. Um but they never they never say Lincoln. They, yeah. Um, because that that's a very very negative one specific to that. Whereas the others seem to be just bashing corporations in, in general. Yeah. Um so there I mean there might be a fine line there. And and I don't know, maybe it's possible that they didn't get their permission and that that was they just budgeted for settlements. Okay. For yeah. that. That's um, possible. I, I really don't know. Yeah. Um so actually, my my next note is something that you had mentioned or that we had talked about before, talking mm-hmm. about Edward Norton's size. Is yeah. I always thought of him as a scrawny nerd from from other things that I've seen him in, but he really got ripped for this. Yeah. For this uh, movie. Yeah. At this point, I hadn't seen American History X, so I didn't know anything okay. about it. But uh, but I'd seen. Um, I think I saw the Hulk. I think the Hulk came out before. It came out a little. The Edward Norton Hulk came out in 2008, I believe. So that okay. was much later. Yeah, that was much later. No, then there was another movie where, oh, uh, that one where he was he was a killer. What's that? Yeah, that that courtroom movie. Yeah, I don't remember him. what it's called. Richard Gere, Primal Fear. Primal Fear. Yes, that was I a really mean for good that one. That's rhyme like that, but it just did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a really good one, and I. I actually really did enjoy that movie, and that that's that's what I was thinking about earlier. That I I that's one of those movies that I've seen him in that wasn't the Hulk or this movie. Sure, yeah. sure. And everything that I've seen him in afterwards, I've absolutely loved too. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those if if his name's on the credits, I'm gonna see the movie and I'm probably gonna enjoy it. Yeah, I like how choosy he is with this stuff. Yeah. Um. So. I'm going to keep going here unless you're... Yeah. Okay. So my next note here is is Marla is dealing with with uh, his mood swings. We see we see him as the narrator, not as not as Tyler, and Marla yeah. Marla is dealing with him in, in their house, and and he's just snapping at her. Sometimes he's nice to her, but sometimes he gets frustrated with her, and that's all based off jealousy because yeah. uh, because he's jealous of the relationship that she has with Tyler. Um, but uh, but looking at the psychological part is. The person, the kind of person that she is, mm. she's only had bad relationships, right? And so what? That's what she's used to. She's used to somebody that's nice to her and then horrible to her, then nice to her and horrible. Mm. And so when the narrator, when his character is just treating her like crap, but then she comes back anyway, yeah. Um, for what we learn later is still him, but as yeah. as Tyler, um, when she comes back, that's that's what she's drawn to, and that's, that's very common with uh, mm. with women. If if they if they have if they're going out with guys that treat her like treat them like crap or abusive husbands or boyfriends or whatever, that's what they're drawn to over and and over and over again, and that's what that's what they equate with love or relationship. And I um, that was a really good one of those hidden hidden pieces in here mm-hmm. is that completely fits her personality type, right? Um. Yeah, so I don't really think I have much to add on that. I'm just sure. moving on to my next note. Yeah, go for it. Um, so, so something I found is that moving on into the creation of Fight Club is that he found um, you could really he found he found um, crying therapeutic um, is what I gathered from all those support groups is that. Out of everything um, routine based in his life, mm-hmm. he found he found with like all of his, his insomnia and everything, he found crying very therapeutic. Yeah, because he had no release. Right. Yeah. And so he that that was his way of dealing with coping. And then you could definitely tell. Um, I don't know. Well, I could definitely tell. Um, Right after they have their fight, like out of the bar, I believe. Okay. Uh, the first fight. Um. Well. 
uh, Tyler and the narrator's fight, you can definitely tell where that switch happens of how he found his new uh, his new th- form of therapy. Right. With uh, with fighting, which is really really good acting. On uh, from what I can tell, on just like facial expression, facial expressions, line execution, body language, mm-hmm. all of that, it just it. It's really, it's really amazing when you can tell that within a character in a movie. It's almost, it's almost like, it's almost like it was a sequel to the previous. I mean, not duration or anything mm-hmm. like that, but, um, but when when you when you go into a sequel or season two of of a TV show or something yeah. like that, then the characters take whatever developed and then they they or whatever it was building up and then they are that so they can build yeah. up to the next one. Right. And so so he builds up to that 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 penultimate ending there mm-hmm. and then suddenly at that spot that you're talking about he's this new man this yeah. new, and then it builds forward from there. Yeah. So Yeah, so that's that's kind of my my next point. I I don't know where we want to go if we want to like skip down the line a bit if um Kind of going up into the ending because we're we're going up on time here. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, it's just going to be a very special first episode. All right. So, um, so now uh, where I'm at in the movie is we've had this little this little exposition between the uh, and the bond between built between Tyler and the narrator, which we'll get into later and how really there was no bond i guess right um but now we have the 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 creation of fight club and the little montage scene of like more and more people coming um to the to to these meets in the fight club Mm -hmm. and um and then we have our first set of rules and it brought me to the question how have we been able to do this episode for almost an hour now because <laughs> we're breaking the number one rule and number two and number two rule, right. which we've, we found is that um, if you break the rule, you don't end up um, breathing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, um, what, one, uh, one thing that, um, that stood out to me a little bit further. Not not really going on your point. Moving on to my next one okay. um, is all of these people that are that are in this group that that have joined that, that mm-hmm. you talked about. They are policemen, waiters, garbage men, cab drivers, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, the the line Tyler's line was: "People you're after are the people you depend on." Yeah, and that's often used. Excuse me. That's often used in stories and mob rub mob run towns we see this yeah um these these are these are the people that that make your city your city run is is all of those people that you that you ignore that you put down that that you think you're you're better than and they're yeah. the ones that have all the power and and in this particular instance we see what what happens if they organize and as a group they're they're together and yeah. and uh they can accomplish anything yeah um I'm kind. Of, I know. I'm kind of getting to the end of the movie here. I actually only have a couple more notes here. Yeah. So am I. Okay. Um. So now I'm I'm into my next couple couple of points that like go into the end of the movie when we find out that Tyler and the narrator are the same person. Okay. And it's like I realized that. At this point in the movie, I realized that with the splicing, that again with the, I earlier figured out that it could have been insomnia uh, induced, but it um, the that he was seeing things, mm-hmm. um, almost starting to create this this alter ego in his head when the splices kept popping up of Tyler Tyler Durden, okay, um, and so we we find out that. He has gone insane right. with this, with creating this alter ego, this this other personality for him, and completely hallucinating this into his life. Completely manif- his brain is completely manifesting this mm-hmm. into this into his life to the point where 
he believes that that man is real. Right. So did that take you by surprise? Yes, that was the ma- one of the major plot loops that I was thrown and it was just like crazy. Yeah. I was I was like that's where this movie was going. It was it was it was crazy. Um and so it really made me think at what because it had to have been Personally, I think it had to have been shown when we made that cross between sane and insanity. And so it really made me think, at what point in this movie, um, at what point of the movie or made him cross over into that plane of insanity? Mm. And so I... Maybe I could watch it again and just look at it and sure. really really pay attention and really pick it apart and try and decide where that cross happens. I think my opinion is mm-hmm. that it happened be- right before the trip where he met Tyler. Because if you, if you think back, because well, yeah. Tyler blew up, he said Tyler blew up the, uh, the apartment. Yeah. And even the police said, you know, I, the lock wasn't broken or anything like that. And so, so he would have he would have set that, but he didn't realize that he that he set that up. Yeah. So thinking about that, it, you think, okay, so it must have been at that point. Mm-hmm. But then you think about it more, and it just keeps going further back. And so, but there's no, it, it just keeps going further back. But there's no, it, there's no obvious point between the the prologue of him just really telling us about sure. his life until um and then there's no there's no obvious um difference between the prologue and where the plot starts but is there a line when somebody snaps i have no idea is because yeah, it, usually it's progression it's, it is it's, this thing gets piled on top of this piles on top of this and yeah but usually from what i've been able to tell with like movies or maybe even people it's progression, but then there's one point that just completely makes them switch. Okay. And I haven't been able to really pinpoint that yet. But you just said um, what you see in movies. So so this movie, again, is not right. like other movies, too. So that that's also another thing. It's like, was there a point in this movie where that, that like immediate switch happened? Or sure. the, the progression and then that one thing that just... I I keep doing hand motions that really right. could explain my point, but <laughs> this isn't a video podcast yet. Not yet. Um, but it, that point where it really just splits that, and okay. so it's it really makes me like curious. Sure, sure. Yeah. The rest of my notes we've actually covered with other things, so okay. I, I, so we can finish yours. Okay. With yours. So. Uh, moving on to when he finally shoots himself, mm-hmm. which that whole scene was just really confusing about <laughs> who to shoot, who would die, who would not. Right. But he finally shoots himself. How in the world did he not die? He put it straight into his mouth, and it came out of his, came out of his ear. Well, yeah, it was well, it was it was angled, and it went came out of his jaw. Yeah. yeah. Or his cheek. Yeah. It would have shattered his teeth, I'm sure. Yeah, but he was able to talk normally and just be fine. So that's... I have another note about that, but that's probably also how crazy he got. Like, we've seen that with, like, in, um, in Christopher Nolan's uh, The Dark Knight series. Okay. The... the um, What's his, uh, Heath Ledger's Joker. Mm-hmm. And opposed to a lo- some of the other Jokers, he's not the most physically, like, capable guy. No. But he's insane enough to take hit after hit after hit. Sure. And be fine. Right. And so that's kind of where I, that, that's kind of like a, I, I draw a, I, okay, so since you mentioned Chris, 
Christopher Nolan. I'm going to Christopher Nolan you right now. Okay. You said he was talking fine afterwards, right? Yeah. Who was he talking to? The, his, his people. He wasn't talking to himself. No, he, all the people were gone. He was talking to Marla, right? Talking to Marla. After he shot himself, Marla was the only one that was left in the room. I thought it was Jared Leto's character and somebody else. Uh, and I think they were all gone at that point. Okay. So then my question is, what makes you think Marla is real? Right. That that could be another an, another thing that... That's a good question. That could be... like <laughs> <laughs> that. Um, it could be another... When he was talking about the the her her lies reflect my lies, mm. another manifestation. Yeah, maybe that could also be where the cross happens. See, you keep going back, <laughs> <laughs> you can't figure it out, right? Because um, he had been an insomniac for quite a while at that point already, right? And so, but he was still able to walk away without really having much damage, and then so. Um, and so my, so there, there was that point, how is this, how is he not dead? And then my next point is like this movie, man, it's, it's crazy. And then, so, and then, so like the, the last two like concluding points I have is, um, here's like the series of events that I've been able to like see in that very final chunk of scenes is that he goes crazy, shoots himself. Almost heals himself like Wolverine, <laughs> and then just apparently is no longer crazy. Yeah, it's not really how that works with a lot of people. No, so, so that's that. That's one thing that's like really, really confusing about the final things is that are we seeing another insomniac-driven illusion or? Just how any of this works. It's. I don't want to say this movie is like realistic, but it, it had realism throughout. Yes. It. And then at the very end, it started to get a little. Hollywood. Hmm. In the sense of like. We need this guy to keep kind of going, so we're gonna have some plot protection. We're gonna have some some of these things that are semi-realistic and it kind of makes you, it, we're going to make them think, but, um, but really, I, I don't really have a problem with that because suspension of disbelief, you sure. learned that also in theater as an audience right, member. Right. So I, I disagree. I, I didn't think, I didn't think it was like that. I didn't think it was Hollywood. I didn't think it was blown out. I think mm-hmm. it was, it was all very consistent. Yeah. Um, like the the there were a couple of unrealistic parts, which were the penguin stuff, but that was explained as dreams. Yeah. Um, and so, and the breaking, even the breaking the fourth wall, I I don't I don't think that that's out of character. It, it does kind of interrupt the movie, but it yeah. kind of also drives it drives it along as well. Um, I will tell you that uh, that the author, what's his. Or, What's his name? Um, Chuck Palahniuk. He wrote a sequel as a as a series of comic books. Okay. Um, I haven't read them. I, I don't mm. I don't know anything about them. But he went forward with with this a little bit okay. too. Um, just so you know, it's good to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, my last final thought really is something I mentioned at the the impressions and memories is that. This con the concept of this movie is very unique and it and it's very interesting. It it keeps leading you to different things and keeps leading you to one thing and then just takes you to a different like a, a complete opposite mm-hmm. part of it. And it's like and, and and like every little thing of this movie keeps you on your toes, keeps you interested, keeps you hooked, which sometimes if I've I've mentioned this on my other podcast and I might have mentioned it on maybe in season one is that sometimes it's really hard to keep me interested mm-hmm. and not bored of a movie. Sure. At different parts of the movie, but this one really kept me kept me in and interested. 
even well, even if you're bored and I'm ask you how the movie is, is you're gonna say it's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that no, that's that's good. Yeah, it definitely it definitely keeps you on your toes. And, yeah. And it, I it was a great movie and I I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So, um, thank you, audience, for sticking with us yeah. for this very long first uh, first episode back. Mm-hmm. Um, stick around for just another minute, and you can hear a little. You can hear about our next movie, so you'll know what to uh, what to watch to prepare for. Yeah, exactly. We'll be right back. Alrighty. That's it. Thanks for listening to the Barnes Boys. What are your memories about Fight Club? Did we miss anything important? Let us know at www.barnesboys.ca. Thank you for joining us as we kick off season two with this exceptionally long episode. (laughs) But be prepared for next week's episode of Borat by watching the movie before the podcast and sending us your comments on our website. Our theme music is written by Ryan M. Barnes, and you can find him at www.silvertooth.org. Have a great week.